This is The Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! Happy Juneteenth. Happy Pride Month. Uh, we want to Father's thank Day. Yeah, that's right. Free Father's Day. We want to uh, thank Central Works for sponsoring The Yay. Central Works, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and Dan Sleitler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. Once again, we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring us and our wonderful consulting producer, Mallory Somera. Thank you so much, uh, Mallory, for everything that you do. We had our 200th anniversary, 200th, um, I say anniversary, 200th episode last week, and that was fantastic. That was wonderful. And now we have a fantastic guest, Alan Kismario. Alan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, and I, I'm, I'm so uh, honored to be kicking off your next 200 episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right, God willing. And uh, Alan, you have done so much stuff. You are the former chair of GAPA, the Gay Asian Pacific, Gay Asian Pacific Alliance, a social welfare organization. You were the former head of Bindlestiff Studios, and um, you've done so much. You've been an actor, you've been a director, you've been a creator, and we're talking about your next project. Um, has it amazed you, you know, that you built such an incredible career um, here in the Bay Area? Um. Well, the way that you put it, yes, I'm a little bit amazed that I, I, I was able to last this long right. and not really given up the, uh, and not have taken out, uh, taken my eyes off the prize, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, uh, it's, it's been quite a journey and I'm so glad that we are here, we being the, just the world in general are here today where we're finally, you know, really talking about equity in all regards. Uh, because you know, when I when I got into um, the, the theater community in San Francisco, it was just you know me trying to you know get into shows, no matter what show it was, no matter what part it was. I just I just want to be seen, and I had to compete against you know actors who did not look like me and who uh, are more understandable, the casting directors. So I really had to sell myself. But uh, that was a nice way of putting that. Yeah, <laughs> that was polite. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, if, if there's anything I've learned as you know an artistic director, I have to be polite. <laughs> yes. Yeah, very much so. And we'll talk more about you uh, and your great career and, and the careers that you are creating for others. Um, as I begin uh, every podcast, Norman, how was your week? I should run up and grab this. this um, so um, I was saying I'm just taking over my space again. Um, every so often, Dexter wants to have friends over. And so last night was one of those nights and I'd initially said he could do it. And then I ended up picking up a gig. So I needed to zoom until nine o'clock last night. And then they came over. Well, they spent some time out back. They were actually pretty quiet. I didn't realize how many people were here or what was going on, but I go out this morning and there's the lid to a, um, Oh God, what is it? Kettle, uh, the kettle, uh, vodka. Oh, like, okay, y'all, not even 20-year-old. Okay, okay, whatever. But they they straightened the room up. The two of them slept down here, apparently. They straightened the room up nicely, folded up the blankets and everything. I'm like, okay, yes, this is, it's kind of neat. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so there uh, there have been a couple of uh, current events. Well, Juneteenth, I mean, you know, I was planning to go to work on Thursday, and all of a sudden I've never seen – a president sign a bill and it affect people within the hour. Right. And, uh, that that was awesome. Um, so Juneteenth, I was chilling at home uh, and it was really, really nice. But it's wonderful commemoration, the recognition that, you know, mm -hmm. slavery was wrong and uh, and the and the recognition that, you know, it was in Texas where, you know, slaves found out for the first time, hey, we're free. And uh, so that was that was very nice and surprisingly bipartisan. I'm a little surprised that the Senate actually passed it. So that was cool. Yeah, I think it makes sense. It's funny, Mara and I were talking about it this morning and and she I forget how she said it, but oh, um, because that's the date when, um, you know, because uh, they didn't find out until then. And I'm like, no, 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 that's a very passive explanation. Oh, it didn't word didn't get to Texas. That's what she said. And I'm like, no, no, no. Texas knew, Texas knew, Texas chose not to tell the slaves. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And there was a lot of that going on. 
yeah so it was it was very very cool and uh, a nice bipartisan thing and who knows that may be a sign of good things to come as far as uh biden passing things right, things. Uh, right. we will see we will see this uh, i want to talk about in the heights there's a bit of controversy you guys have heard about this yes the color the color yeah, apparently the uh, the cast of In the Heights is a little too white or a little too light skinned. Light skinned, yeah. Light skinned Latinos and dark skinned Latinos are taking uh, issue with it. So, right. and Rita Moreno, Rita Moreno, uh, she uh, sort of stepped in to try to defend Lin Manuel Miranda, who actually ah. said, "Hey, listen, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. We should yeah. have more darker skinned Latinos." Yes. So uh, it, it's it's interesting. Right. It is. They could darken them. Well, so let's talk, talk about that. <laughs> what, what were you saying, Alan? Oh, I was, I was just, I was just, I don't know. I was just being the chorus. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's, and, and I always try to squeeze one fun thing. Uh, so apparently a New York private school has gotten into trouble for teaching first graders about masturbation. Have you heard about this? <laughs> no. First grade? First grade. Damn, I First grade. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I'm interested why. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no idea. And of course, they didn't tell the parents and the parents were, of course, up at arms, I think, for, uh, yeah. for a good reason. Yeah, this is a news that I found on um, this was uh, TMZ. And uh, oh, shucks, I can't even find the uh, article. OK, I'm not even going to worry about it. But in any case, yeah, so I, I you know, I, I, remember, I remember having a, uh, okay, I found it. Angry parents rail on private school for teaching first graders about masturbation and don't let what their parents teach touch them? it without Come on, consent. That, does, that doesn't even sound right. <laughs> if you're spending, and these folks are spending $55,000 to send their kids <laughs> to school every year. Anyway. Well, you'd want to make sure your kids know how to do it right. I mean, come on. I, well, well, I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I very, I do think I'm a progressive thinker, but even that, I, I will. I would need to kind of know more about the re the rationale behind all that. That's just so off the wall. Well, yeah. it sounds so clickbaity. I wonder what they actually taught. So there's a cartoon. A teacher at the Dalton School reportedly shows students a video from the cartoon series Amaze. A little boy in the video asks about erections. Hey, how come sometimes my penis gets big sometimes and points in the air? The boy adds, sometimes I touch my penis because it feels good. In any case, this is, a, I guess, a, uh, a cartoon. Crazy. Some parents right. are, of course, bent out of shape, according to the New York Post, but the real anger was triggered over consent. The students reportedly are taught not to let their parents or grandparents touch them without asking for permission first. So. <laughs> yeah, well, that discussion has been going on for a long time, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. In any case, so that's what's going on in the news. And uh, well, Alan, let me ask you, how have you and your uh, your husband surviving uh, COVID-19? You guys are vaccinated and uh, are healthy. And yes, we're, we're both vaccinated. He got vaccinated before I, I did because he's in the um, in the food prep industry. Uh, and, you know, I, I just can't tell you how how liberating it is to uh, to get to this point. Yes, I, I still I'm still very mindful about the mask wearing and other people's comfort level about that. But for me personally, I'm, I'm really glad that I don't have to wear a mask around my, you know, my first level, second level, third level bubbles, you know. Um, and yeah, I, 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 you know, this COVID epidemic really brought out uh, a lot of truths um, in, our, in our relationships. And sometimes it was negative and many times it was positive. And in this case, it was very positive because I spent so much, we spent so much time together and we really enjoyed each other's company and it just felt right uh, that we, we should dedicate our, our, the rest of our lives together. So, and that's what we did. When? In September 18th. So originally Yay! Through, through the county of Alameda because San Francisco was just too slow for us. Uh, <laughs> but, I'm glad Alameda was on top of something, yay. Yay, right? Uh, originally, it was it was scheduled for September 11th, and wow. we called and said this is, this does not bode well for our marriage. Right. <laughs> okay, we delay it another week. No, that's awesome. That is just fantastic. And you know, we hear the other stories where people couples get together and they're forced together during COVID nineteen, 
and it drives them apart because they're not used to just spending all of their time together and you know some uncomfortable truths come out but it sounds like it was the opposite for the two of you where you realize yeah. you can you know survive even this and survive uh being together you know um in seclusion and it all worked out got, that's awesome got closer and you know it, it, you know we we really work we have to be honest with each other and that's that honesty really kind of uh, brought us together. Very, very cool. Well, let's get to an origin story. Alan Casmorio, um, where were you born and raised? We were talking a little bit off mic, uh, but you've told me, but why don't you tell our audience where you born and raised and how theater um, grabbed you? Right. Uh, I was born in the Philippines. I was born in a, in a city called Quezon City, which is part of Metro Manila. Um, I, I was then, my early childhood was then spent uh, up north in the Ilocos region of, uh, of the country. And in 1978, uh, we immigrated to California. Uh, my dad has, had already been, um, had already established his medical practice here in the States and we just followed him. Mm. And we, uh, we set up camp in Vallejo, California. And that's where I spent the rest of my childhood and adolescence. And that's where I discovered theater through Vallejo Children's Theater, which, you know, no longer exists. But it, it really, it, when I, what the first, the first show I, I saw through Vallejo Children's Theater was Oklahoma. And I remember this staging uh, began with, uh, with Curly on an actual horse coming from behind the, the auditorium and singing, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning. And I thought it was just so, it was so cool. And you know, as soon as uh, what theater was this that was able to get a horse on stage? I don't know how. I don't know what string they pulled, but they got a horse to, to kind of gallop slowly <laughs> down the aisle and up the stage. I would hate to be the stage manager and having to clean up after the horse. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a children's theater production, so it was like, oh, okay. Um, but it was it just kind of it just seduced me that uh, as soon as the show was over, there were people up front from the uh, organization um, selling season tickets. But I asked, you know, well, how can I be part of this? And, you know, that's, that, that was my end. And to be honest with you, I think I was only one Filipino boy in that whole, in that whole class. Once I was, I was asked in, everybody mm -hmm. was blondes and redheads and, and, and chocolate, and not chocolate, but yeah, chocolate, covered or colored hair. I was the only one with dark hair. Black wow, hair. wow. You had mentioned that uh, your family came uh, in 19, now 1978. Was the Marcos regime um, uh, uh, there? Was Fernando Mar yeah, Marcos? Yeah, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so you guys escaped that. Yes, so as a child, because I lived in the Olocos region, which is Marcos country, I, you know, growing up, I never, I didn't see that. I was, I was, I was protected by that. And it was only after I left the country and I heard from the families of my friends of their experiences in the Philippines that I realized that martial law was not good for the rest of the country. And mm -hmm. so escaping it, um, I escaped the, I escaped the country, but I, I didn't know that I was escaping it. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I understand. I mean, you know, we are just coming off of the, and I mean, not to compare Trump to Marcos, but, you know, oh. we, have, we have no, we, you know, us Americans, no. we have no idea of what it is to live in a sort of a, a country ruled by um, uh, a dictator. You know, it's no right. way of saying Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that um, Americans just do not know what they're asking for or what they were asking for when Trump was around, mm. you know. Yeah. Yeah, because some of some of Trump supporters came from countries with dictatorships. So oh, right. yeah, yeah, you're right. There, there is a Latino community that, is, for whatever reason, they they um, they have an appreciation for a strong man um, until your rights are violated. So right. um, now, when in high school, did you were you involved in theater heavily in high school? I was. Uh, I got involved. I, I, I was in theater in grade school. I was in theater in, in middle school, and I definitely was in theater in high school. Um, I was, you know, I was in the drama club um, 
administration. So I was vice president at some point of the club. Mm. And, um, and from there, uh, as I was getting ready to graduate, I started looking into the, the various projects in the community. And so I, I did shows with Bill Music Theater. I did shows with Solana College Theater. Yeah. No, no, that is awesome. And um, when you went to college, you, did you study theater? What college did you go to? It's yeah. So, from, so uh, I transferred to SF State from Solana College. But um, at that point, my my advisor told me, you know, you're you're a talented enough young man. I don't think that you'll have any problems getting jobs in San Francisco in the theater. I think that you should spend your time. I think you should spend your time at SF State learning something that was more practical. So, you know, I said, well, you know, you're, you're the adult in the room, you're the authority in the room, I will totally like listen to you. Mm -hmm. So I transferred to SF State from Solana College as a broadcast major. And, you know, which is like, that's not such a, uh, you know, that's not such a, a, a radical um, step. So I did that and I actually got a, an internship with a radio station, but that was also around the time when the, the industry was being deregulated. And so the, the whole TV and radio industry changed and it wasn't what I signed up for. You know, it became less personal, it became less creative and, mm -hmm. and more money driven. Yeah, and you actually worked for KDFC FM, is that right? That's right. What'd you do there? I had this intern and, and I, I ended my tenure there as a program uh, coordinator, pro programming coordinator. Yeah. That's one of the cool things, I mean, uh, about you from what I've, uh, you know, working with you. And uh, we met each other at uh, Stories High in 2011. That's when uh, Bendelstiff had opened up its new um, facility. At least it was new then. Actually, it's, I guess, it's since 2011, it, this is the 10-year anniversary. That's awesome. But uh, you, were the, um, you were the director. You were the artistic director. And you were sort of the sage. I always think of you as the sage in the room, the one who sort of, you know, controls everything. And it's not right. like you've been doing that throughout your entire life, whether it be um, the, um, the GAPA or, um, you know, program coordinator at KDFC. Um, do you see yourself more as an administrator or do you like, would you like to be on stage more? You know, that's a, that's a good question. I, I always go back and forth. You know, whenever I'm on stage and, and doing shows, I always long for like just being backstage and, and like really calling shots. And then when I'm on that side, then I want the other side. I, I'm never really satisfied. But, you know, looking back on it all, I would not change anything. I think that every experience I've had, um, just you know it just i'm just glad i had it you know it's something to to really like you said it's something to pass on to like the the, the next generation and and kind of advise them you know about what you know what to expect and what to do and and to let them take those that advice and take it to kind of heart and not necessarily take it per se but keep in the back of their heads so that they're they're walking into things a little more uh clear-eyed yeah, no, that makes sense. Norman, I'll bring you in. How did the two of you meet, meet or have worked together? I don't remember how we met. Word for word. Oh, geez. Yes. Oh, the crazy ass, the nightmare. Nightmare. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. That was such a weird story. And, and, you know, word for word style is to take literature and translate it to the stage uh, verbatim, you know, exactly as it is on the page, supposedly. That was a struggle, but man, we worked hard. We did was... work hard. And you know, I was still working at the radio station at that time, and I had to like, had to be really creative about taking time off there, you know? Right. To make the school tours. Yeah, it was, yeah, it, it really, it really uh, uh, took me to my, into my paces that day. Well, no, you showed up, you know, you showed up like a professional ready to go. I was, I was excited to see you know, it was always it's always great to get to learn that there are other people out there really doing this, especially in the Bay Area, because we all have day jobs. <laughs> you know, right. we all are, are trying to do that hustle. But when you find the way to balance both, like, cool. And, you know, because I was came out of college, very familiar with the Asian American theater community and, and the Filipino theater community, I was like, oh, OK, more people. Yay. God, we got to do something. <laughs> right. And we you know, all had always that feeling we got to do something, but finding somebody to pay for it. 
right? And everybody who had day jobs had to do this whole thing ninja style. Yeah. <laughs> oh, ninja style, what? They have to sneak to do the, the job? Well, take your time off and... Exactly. Oh. Planning your vacation. I, I know, I don't know how many years where my vacation was just about when do I need the time off because I'm doing a show. Right, right. Yeah, I've had to do that too. Jeannie Baroga, she's using uh, the yay and I guess other material too. She, she's writing a book, I guess an anthology on yep. uh, Filipino Americans. Uh, I think it's Katagan. Katagan? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And um, she's been she's been pouring into some of the ep- uh, interviews that we've had with Philippine Americans, especially how Bendelstep, what it means, it meant to them. Um, right. Let's get your perspective because, you know, you were sort of uh, part of the, you along with Alan Manalo, sort of mm-hmm. helped build it together. Um, what does what does Bendelstep mean to you? Well, so let me, let me first kind of go back. So Bendelstep actually, um, it's it's square on El Manalo's lap. Yeah. He is yep. the man. Yeah. All right. I I came in sort of midway. I came in right, yep. right before they moved into the new space. So you know I we have to give him credit for that. We have to give all the artists that came before me credit for that. Yeah. You well, know. Right. Gatra and Tenang. Yeah. Good shit. Yeah. And so you know me coming into Bindlestiff was a it was such an honor and it also like um, just made me more aware of my Filipino-ness because like I said, um, I don't know, before the interview or or during the interview, you know, I had to be be, like, had to really kind of work with the rules that um, the theater community at that point had for for actors of color, you know, which is just, you know, kind of do what we, what we, here's what we can offer you and that's all we can offer you. Right. Bindle Stiff made me realize more that I need to be active about my my voice and how it's going to be expressed on a medium like the stage. So you know, and, and going into into uh, Bindle Stiff as um, as an artistic director, I had to you know I had to satisfy that through the the paint that is the artists uh, mm-hmm. in that uh, in that space. So I really you know I really kind of hoped that um i was able to instill you know all the all the the joy and the love and and and, and all that within the, the actors to for them to be able to create what they created yeah i think so well, and i would i would okay. throw a question in here because um i know we so we got to work together and then the next thing i remember being aware of with you was your work with a uh, crowded fire right Right, that came and, that was, that was somewhere in the middle. Right. Yeah, and that was great because it was another small company that was doing really powerful work, and it had it was an ensemble effort. So you all had a voice in what was going on, and again, I was very excited to see somebody of color in that conversation. So when I knew you were moving on to Bendel Step, I was like, I know the experience that you were going to bring to this. A lot of what I brought, a lot of what I brought to Bendel Step was a lot from from kind of the discipline that Rebecca Novick and that company instilled in me. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was wild because Bendel stuff always has this feeling of sort of a clubhouse. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Lord knows we need right. we need a place where we can hang out. But to also say, no, seriously, here's how you make a show. Here's how you really bring a show to life. This isn't just about you getting on stage and trying to show off. Right. There's more to it. Yeah, and that's the foundation. And I think you made that very, very clear when we began Stories High, that, you know, these are the rules. I mean, you can still have fun, but these are some fundamentals that we have to, you know, hold on to. And I think that's something that Arena Mario has um, sort of inherited from you. I think, you know, you sort of read the, um, wrote the playbook that-, that I'm very excited for you. I'm very, I'm very excited for Orine to be at the helm there. Yeah, no, she's done fantastic. And we had her on and she talked. So um, now you are involved in, there's a new project that you're doing uh, along with um, Eli Sonny-Orkiza and Crystal Piamonti. Can you yeah. talk about that? Ooh. Yeah, so, so uh, it's called the Chikahan Company. And it's uh, a company that is dedicated to creating works um, that, that speak of our, our, 
Filipino, Filipino ex uh, community. It's about their stories being told by their uh, people. Um, and we're hoping that this is, you know, uh, and so the three of us, we, we also have, you know, ties to Bindlestiff. And, and Bindlestiff, you know, has a, a huge responsibility to the community. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's a little bit uh, multi, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's just multi, more multifaceted, Bindlestiff. And mm -hmm. it's there for the community and it's a very valuable part of the community. The Chicago company is a little bit more specific. We, we really want to focus more on, on creating new works, new opportunities for uh, um, the Filipino uh, and, and Filipino uh, uh, artist community. Uh, and, and hopefully, you know, expand, uh, expand th those works that come out of it to, um, to become more available and, and uh, create, create more opportunities nationally. No, I think that sounds fantastic. Is there a, is it Chican, C-H-I-C-A-N? Is that what it is? Chican, yeah. It, it's, uh, it's, it's from the, the Tagalog word for, for gossiping. Ah, I see. Story, storytelling, gossiping. Yeah. And, yeah. And can you see, can you see the background behind me? That's our, that's our, our little yeah. mascot. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll, uh, of course, we're yeah. vid videoing this so other people can see it as well. Now, that'll be cool. Is there a website? We don't have a website. We're working on a website. We do have a Facebook page. So look for us there. It's hashtag Chicago Company. Right on. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely check that out. Do you enjoy um, Do you enjoy directing? I mean, I, I know that you have directed, but you may have just been thrown in that task. But right. do you enjoy that or do you enjoy acting? What aspect of theater do you really enjoy the most? I enjoy I enjoy both. You know, um, I'm a top and bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Nothing wrong with but that. directing, what directing gives me is to be able to uh, get inside these characters that I normally would not be cast for, you know, and really, and, and, and directing shows, I would say, um, really help me understand human nature better. And each time I, I direct, I understand human nature even better. Because you know, while, I, while I ask my actors to do a lot of um, homework and, and to look into it, you know, I'm I'm in the I'm in the mud with them. I'm working through this with them, so that I fully understand the world that they're going for and what they're seeing, um, and and how how the outside world affects us all. Now that's cool. Uh, one question that I've asked a bunch of other directors. We've had Don Monique Williams on as a director, and Susan Evans, and uh, a bunch of others. When uh, because I. I've always felt that the, the art of the director, and I've never directed anything in my life, is to speak to different actors who may come from different cultures and different acting backgrounds and techniques. And how do you find the voice? Because uh, I remember talking with Craig Souza. He was directing one show. It was a comedy. And one actor was not getting it. And um, how do you, um, do you find that you have to... Um, I guess, speak in different voices or different languages. Have you had an experience where one actor wasn't getting it? Um, right. What tools do you use regarding that? Uh, well, one, one of the things that my day job has-, um, has your, your video oh, went out, Alan. Alan. I know, I'm sorry. I'm, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You see me now? Okay. Sorry. No, perfect. No. Oh, there we go. Right. Yeah. I'm, gonna hold, I'm gonna hold this now. Uh, so <laughs> one, of things, one of the things that my day job uh, gave us uh, were these workshops and one of the workshops I took through work is called situational management and that really kind of helped me understand that everybody is different and and your your management uh, uh, approach should should be customized to that person so I brought that into into the theater and I you know I mean in the casting I, I really you know, that's where it begins right you kind of figure out well this is how I see the character to be let me see if I can find it in these actors and even then I'm open-minded I want to see if, if I if my mind could be changed like some some actor could come in with a totally different approach to what I have in mind and it's, it just totally makes sense and it makes me very interested to to uh, go in that direction but in in rehearsal you know uh, you that's when you the director becomes the painter and you need to understand your paint and your canvas oh, and how one your canvas work together, you know, and how it, it captures the light. You need to make what you have there um, shine on their own.
Yeah, no, that's an excellent analogy. And just thinking, I want to bring Norman in, because when we talk about other companies and, you know, um, the BIPOC community, um, people of color, when we are cast into a show, of course, we want to tell our story, but we want to be treated with respect. And I think right. that a lot of, um, let's say a director says, oh, we need a black person, we need an Asian person. Yeah. But you don't know um, how to approach them, you know, correctly. You know, you just can't be the token person. But Norman, I would ask you this question. Do you think that may be one of the problems within the theater community, uh, especially when we deal with um, the subject of people of color? You may hire someone or someone may hire you as a black person, but do they know how to truly approach you? I mean, not necessarily to mm -hmm. speak to a black person, but speak to you as a human being. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's weird. You know, a big part of the casting process is just to see what, how well you vibe with somebody. So I always find it interesting when I get in a situation where I have no idea what the director is expecting from me. You know, right. like I wouldn't have cast me in this role, but you chose to cast me in this role. I don't really know what's on your mind. I know what I think of the character and where race is a factor in that. It's not like I sit down and go, okay, so this character's a black man and he needs to blah, blah, blah. You know, that's, that's not right. the reality of it. But I'm recognizing that my director may have some specific things in mind. And how do you communicate? If you communicate that, how do you communicate that? For me, it's, you know, it's the same task that I feel like every actor has. And for me, the recognition, so I, I met Alan fairly early in my career. Um, the recognition that as a person of color, as a performer of color, I was having to make some choices about what I was doing with the character, whether or not the director was making those choices, I had to make those choices. And it, I quickly learned that added some really cool things to the character that is gonna allow the audience to have mm -hmm. a new experience. And again, maybe the director didn't have that in mind, but I knew that I had to deal with it. So to meet another performer of color, who's out there working in the same way. Because the other thing is you can be that ethnically specific person. You know, I could be black and right. that's one thing. But when I meet somebody and they're not being just, they're not being bo boxed into that ethnic identity. It's like, well, this is who I am. I bring that with me as part mm -hmm. of who I am, but it's, you know, maybe this much of who I am, but mm -hmm. you can't ignore it. It's there. <laughs> Right. Um, so I always find that an interesting dynamic and I love it when there can be the conversation with a director. I find it's sort of like the same conversation about interracial dating. Ah, if I'm trying to get laid tonight, we are not about to have a conversation about race. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. I don't want you to go, oh, wait, damn, you're a black man. No, no, no. We, we weren't casting a black man in this role. You, we have to get rid of you. So for me, I'm like, no, I'm not going to bring this up. I'm not going to mention this but I still have to deal with it. You know, right. it's interesting. I remember uh, we had Jed Presario on and he talked about, I'm not sure if it happened at Shotgun, but it was a, a play that he was cast in. Yeah. And uh, the director was like, well, you're not acting, that's not the Filipino that type character that we were looking to, can you act more Filipino? The, the, act, the director Ooh. had a perception of what a Filipino mm -hmm. person was. And I remember Jed was saying, well, what type of Filipino do you want tonight? Do you want, you know, what you saw on the daytime soaps or, you know, whatever you saw on, I don't know. Yeah. ABS, yeah. CBN or, you know, ASAP or <laughs> he was very, very offended. Have you had to deal with that at all, Alan? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm going to, I'm not going to name you the theater company, but I remember auditioning for a, a piece. Uh, you know, it's, it was about uh, a Chinese American. And you know, it was this was the '90s, so you know, at that point, there were there was a dearth of, of Asian actors. So any Asian actor of any color of any you know background were, was auditioning for this piece. And I I remember going in there, and I think I did a really good job with it. But the casting director said, "You're not Asian enough." And I'm thinking, well, I, I am Asian, so how can I not be Asian enough? And right. I think what they really meant was they were looking for a specific type, you know that. A very submissive Chinese character. They wanted a cliche. They wanted a cliche. And, you know, so, you know, but of course, you know, I, I was a young actor and I took it very personally. And it really confused me. Um, and I, I, I want to sort of do a little sidebar, but not quite a sidebar, which is that, you know, in order for me to get jobs, I had to like whiten myself inside. 
you know, yeah. learn learn all those those you know bag of tricks that white actors had. You know how to you know the timing and and the you know just the, the way that you deliver things. You know it's how white actors delivered it. You know. Yeah. What a shame. And that's how I got a lot, most of my gigs. You know, like oh, it's that it's that you know Asian actor that acts white and he's funny and our white audiences will get it and they'll laugh and they'll cry. You know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Do you think things have changed for the better now, or are you seeing sort of the same thing? Now, well, I think it, I think it has changed for the better. I don't think we've changed enough. I think we're getting there. What is there? I don't know what is there, but we need to keep working at it until we feel like. We don't, that this conversation is not as dire as it is today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I totally hear you. No. Um, what I was gonna, um, is there a piece that either you've acted in or directed in that you would say would be, I don't know, the, um, the cherry on the top? I mean, the, 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 the one that's had the most impact in your career? Oh, well, a lot of, so uh, a lot of, I mean, I put, I put a lot of myself into my pieces. You know, does it translate well at the end? Do they, are they consistent? No, they're not consistent, of course. So, but I love them all dearly. Like, you know, like, you're, like you love your children. Uh, sure. But if I were to look back, if I were to look back on the pieces that I go, yeah, that's, I put a lot of, you know, blood, sweat, and tear behind that. And it, it came out, to, you know, very, very nicely, you know, and there are two pieces and, one was Dooley, which I did over at John Sims Center. And that was a one act piece. It was a two person play. Um, and it's about Patrick Dooley, who uh, was uh, part of the, the, um, the efforts in Vietnam. And he was, you know, he was in the closet and he was outed by the CIA, but that's just a story. The reason why that was an, has an impact on me was because that was the first time where I, I understood my power as a director and storytelling. And from there was like, that's, that's where my jumping, on point, jumping off point was for the voice, for my voice inside and how I could use that to further, uh, you know, expand on, on Filipino American storytelling. Um, and then the second, the second piece I did um, that I thought was, you know, was incredible was uh, Hedda Gabler, which is uh, an all Filipino cast. Um, wow. Production. Oh, I, I, I remember been, that. Yeah. And because that really, that really kind of put us through our paces, you know, uh, as as Filipino actors, you know, and how does that story, you know, like how is that relevant to the community and blah 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 blah. So that really tested me. And um, although I would say that that was not completely successful, it it just it really just made me more aware of like where I wanted to go as a as a storyteller. Yeah, I remember that being advertised. Who who uh, produced that? It was Ben. Ben. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah and Marissa. Uh, uh, oh my goodness, why am I? Uh, uh, Marissa Katubig, Esperanza Katubig, who was head of Gabler. Yes. Right. I was. I was the husband there. Uh, and um, oh, and early was the maid. Yeah. Yeah, because she was trying to steal the show. <laughs> oh, she was that little bit. <laughs> Shoot, I would have loved to have seen it, and uh, I mean, it was it was a wonderful production. I really enjoyed that, and for exactly the reasons you're talking about, it's like um, with my small company, Oakland Public Theater, we did um, we did an Ibsen um, Mother Mother Courage. No, no, no. What is it? It's a it's a just a one act. Um, Mother. I know you're talking about early, wasn't it? And I've got Mother Love stuck in my head. And maybe it is Mother Love. It is Mother Love. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful one act. And we said, well, let's do it with a Filipina mother and daughter. Mm -hmm. And so we used Erlina and, and Mallory. And I felt like it used, it told exactly the same story. Right. And yet by putting it in that cultural, with that cultural lens, allowed us to to read into it a whole lot of other things and I, I love it when you make an audience do that right you know Norman that reminds me of that project you had that was really interesting the long the long Christmas dinner oh I still am trying to find somebody to yeah. produce that to give that a home because god that was great that was great and, yeah you know, we did a two cast one Asian American mm -hmm. cast one African American cast same play same every night so right. you saw the same story twice. It was, and it was, it was very that. different just because of, of the actors that you used. 
Well, I was I was so excited at that kind of storytelling. I, I mm -hmm. understand people getting the opportunity to tell their story, but part of what history is, is the way we tell the story of history. So to right. be able to say, well, let's look at this historical piece, but I can give you 1904. It's not gonna be set in, in Scandinavia. It'll be set in America. It'll be set on the West Coast. It'll be set at the time when, what was it? Um, there was a group of, and I, it was very specific historically. There was a group of young women who had been brought over from the Philippines to be trained as teachers. Right. So I just imagined right. here's one who ended up hooking up with somebody, getting pregnant, and that took over her life. Like, come on, that, that happens to everybody. So, right, right. Wow. You know, just, that sounds like an exciting uh, project. Yeah. It was the, the long Christmas dinner. And I was just talking to somebody about this recently because I love that if you did it on a regular basis, you get your audience to come every year to see it. You do it with different configurations, give it different cultural lenses. And yet right. there are the lines that we all know. So every young woman who walks in her first entrance walks to the front of the stage. She's looking out the picture window, which is the audience and says, oh, look, the branches of the trees are completely encircled in ice. You almost right. never see that. By the third or fourth time you hear it in the play, it becomes this call and response with the audience. You want the audience, if they don't actually say the line, that laugh, that laugh of recognition that happens. And I'm like, again, <laughs> doesn't matter what culture you are, when you do that, I have now put you, the audience, in the world of that culture. You understand these people. <laughs> right. Very cool. One question for you, Alan. I mean, this is Pride Month. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, even Vice President Kamala Harris, I mean, she was, I think, the first, first vice president to march in a gay pride parade. And I think she's, she even did that when she was the, uh, the DA here in right. San Francisco. Um, you've seen, I mean, how has, are things better? I guess, you know, if you can speak as a, a proud gay man and you're married and mm -hmm. are things better or, or do you feel, have you had to go through a lot of adversity as an actor, as a person? I mean, it's wonderful being here in the Bay Area because there's a bubble and, you know, you can feel um, accepted, I would think. But um, I mean, how how has the journey the journey been? Well, um, so I came out in 92 and that was at the height of um, the AIDS, AIDS crisis, hmm. you know. Um, so from 92 to 2002, that was 10 years of of activism and, and learning and, and, the, and the struggle to, you know, to really get not just a cure, but to get um, just, you know, your everyday human rights and, and all that inequality to the LGBT plus community. Uh, and I have to say that while it was a lot of work in the 90s, um, it was also it was also community forming and community bonding. And I, I really missed that in regards. And and once once we begin, once those victories started coming in, you know, there was a lot more like the, the community was more relaxed and they began to integrate more. The, you know, everybody was kind of happy with each other and it was peaceful. But, you know, I'm like, sometimes I wish that there was something else to, you know, that really kind of would bring us together. And then lo and behold, though, Trump comes in. Oh. <laughs> right? And it not just brought the LGBT plus community, you know, together again, but it just brought other communities in. And we began to really like, you know, form that, you know, that relationship that I was first, you know, um, exposed to in the 90s. You know, it is interesting how you think people are motivated by love, but sometimes you're motivated by hate and by adversity and having <laughs> Trump come in as right. the sort of ex machina that will destroy, you know, not just the gay community, but, you know, the black community and the Latino community. And I've even had, you know, Jewish friends saying, oh, my God. Uh, you know, you're absolutely right. And I wonder about the normalization. I mean, you know, we see, you know, they are gay and transgendered people on television. And right. you would think, oh, well, things are better now. Things are completely, you know, the, the struggle is over. And I'm sure you, yeah. know, you would probably say, no, not really. You know, there's still yeah, no, yeah. not really. <laughs> you know, and, and I, I, it's just another it's just another form of tokenism, you know, where like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll cast a Filipino actor in there in this white role because it, it'll make us look progressive, you know. Um, there's so much more that needs to be done. We need to trust uh, these actors to, to be able to tell their stories their way, 
And I mean, if, let's let's go back to In the Heights, you know, also, you know, like mm-hmm. it didn't do well. It didn't do well as a box office, right? And oh, someone, wow. right? Well, it didn't do as well as a box office as they expected. And I, and I got someone's opinion saying, well, you know, so that, that means that, you know, Hollywood will probably not do anymore, you know, like shows, you know, that include the Latino community in there because it didn't do well. It's like, well, you know, if you look at it from a money perspective, then you're, you're missing the point of, right. you know, of In the Heights and, and bringing in more diversity into uh, inter- entertainment. You know, and that's that's why I say, you know, like, although it all seems great and dandy, I mean, look, look at like Crazy Rich Asians. I mean, even before that, look at uh, uh, Joy Luck Club. You know, when those two movies came out, it's like, yeah, now finally, you know, Asians are going to be able to like do do stuff and, and have more work available to them when really no, because it, it just seems like, well, here's a breadcrumb to you. You know, here's, right. oh, what decade are we in? We need a, be- a breadcrumb for, for here's this. Your, right. Here's your slice. Okay. We gave right. you your slice. Moving on. <laughs> right. So yeah, we need we cannot depend on other people to provide us opportunities. We have to make that opportunity for ourselves, and we need to do as best as we could. Yeah, were you well, with well the said. Theater Rhino? Oh, ask me that again. Were, weren't you with Theater Rhino? Uh, I'm still working with Theater Rhino. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah and you know, it's these organizations that have to have to carve out space for their identity it's right it's always a it's always a huge challenge in fact they just i just uh, they just did a show and i think it's closing it's closing tomorrow actually called pillow talk i don't ah. know if you heard about that no no let's let's get it we'll get that on yeah it's you know it's a it's a two-person play uh, my gosh kevin oh my god i'm blacking out on the, on the playwright's name kevin something but it takes place in oakland and it's about two uh two men Two black men in Oakland who are hooking up, and one of them is uh, is on the DL and has hired this this um, for a lack of a better word for this, this prostitute uh-huh. to meet him to meet him every night in inside of a car. <laughs> yeah, I have that. That premieres uh, June it will open June the 11th and it closes June the 20th. And I and we have right. that. Um, that, that. Yeah, that'll be interesting. We had uh, John. Oh, I forgot his last name. Um, he's the Fisher. Director. yeah Fisher thank you John Fisher and he talked about is especially it was interesting talking to him on the yay it was just him and I and he, he we were talking because he's an older gay man and he talked about I guess the you generation there were all these um labels you know metrosexual right. and sapiosexual and he you know we had a good laugh about that um so it's interesting I mean do you have a perspective on how the younger generation especially the younger gay lesbian LBGBT excuse me, LGBTQ community, how they identify themselves as opposed to how difficult it was when you were younger. I mean, do you feel that they are more bolder and- Oh, they are a lot. They are just crashing that ceiling down, (laughs) you know, to the point where I can't keep up. I don't, I'm not, you know what? I'm like, you guys are the next generation. You lead, I will follow, more power to you, you know. Keep keep up the good work, you know. Uh, I mean, as an older as an older person, I, I may not be a, uh, totally um, with what the the new the new verbiage is, and I'm just asking, you know, kind of be patient with me. Like we had to be patient with our, you know, with the older generation when I was younger. Right. You know, I'm still trying to get used to like introducing myself with pronouns. You know. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it's weird because I would think like when I met you. It was obvious that you were gay. Right. But I don't think we ever explicitly talked about it. And I mean, it was one of the things that I found very comforting was that you were just sort of openly, this is who I am. You accept it or you don't. That's your problem. I was like, oh, dude, I love that. But I feel like young people are are even more free now to just sort of acknowledge who they are and speak their truth. Right. And really explore it. And then, you know, at some point, maybe they'll they'll come closer to center, but they're just, I think they're just, I wouldn't say enjoying it, but they're just like free to explore who they are. Yeah. And demanding the respect from people yeah. from outside watching them, not being afraid you know, of holding hands and all that sort of stuff, which is wonderful. Right. That's how everyone should be. Um, yeah. 
I did have a quick question. Have you ever thought of um, someone who had posted, always uh, go on the theater folks of color on the, uh, they have a uh, uh, Facebook um, page. Yeah. page. So here's a question I'll ask both of you, I know, especially you, Norman, since you're equity. Um, Ashley Hicks says, so are the people over at Equity AEA unhappy? Because every time I've called and talked to them, they've been so rude. <laughs> also, has anyone ever received their membership number before they paid the $600 of the in initiation fee? I'm getting conflicting information. I don't know if you're Equity. Have you, have you ever even thought of being Equity, Alan? I have, but you know, me as an actor of color in the Bay Area, I, I was already having that struggle to get gigs, being Equity, was not going was to it help. Gonna help right yeah uh, no equity is a is a pain in the butt to communicate with they are they have a very rigid perspective on the market and they want to speak their truth and that's the only truth they want to speak and so yeah I, it's not surprising to hear people saying that they're having trouble communicating with equity um, and the thing is once you start to understand what it is equity wants to accomplish you can start to make sense of it. I still don't agree. I'm a union member and I do not agree with a lot of what equity does in their positions. And right now, more than ever, equity hasn't been able to get anybody work for the last year. So how are you asking for my money when you can't get me work? Yeah, exactly. I don't, know, I don't even know how you guys are dealing with insurance. I mean, do you still have the health insurance and <clears throat> the medical benefits and all this stuff, even if you're not working? They right? have uh, suspended a lot of requirements and they've extended people's availability. I ha I've rarely qualified. So they take that little bit of money out of every check I get under an equity contract, but I've rarely qualified to, I finally did when I did, um, not finally, but the last time I did was uh, two summers ago when I did As You Like It. Mm -hmm. And suddenly they were, and it was so funny. I got a whole packet <laughs> And I was like, they, I hate it when they send me this junk mail and I threw it away. And then I realized, oh my God, they're actually, I qualify. That was actually my, hey, let's get you in the system. Yeah. Alan, where do you see yourself in the future? Do you, are you going to stay in the Bay Area? There's so many people who are leaving, like Lorna Velasco. Oh, she is in uh, Seattle, I think, with her family. Yeah. Uh, what about you and your, and your husband? Yeah. I mean, just, there's so many, so many ways to go. No, and, 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 and after getting married in September, there's another way to go, right? Uh, wherever, wherever I go, I need to, you know, I, I have to bring my husband and my, my husband has to be part of that decision-making yeah. skills. Your, your, but, head, your head is uh, sinking. I just Right? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Here we go. There we go. Um, Perfect. So, but I, I, do, I do communicate with my husband and, and vice versa about our, our own, our own um, goals and, uh, yeah, I mean, he doesn't mind going where I want to go. If you, if I want to move to New York, if I want to move to LA, or if I want to move to like the middle of, you know, bum f nowhere. Yeah, he's he's with me. Um, I uh, professionally, I want to, I want to, um, I'm dedicating myself to the Chicago Company, seeing you know, seeing that through, mm -hmm. and then what happens in two or three years from that? You know, I hope to expand on Chicago. In, in other venues, uh, hopefully screenwriting or, or I, I don't know what, what media has in store in three years. I didn't know you wrote, do you, do you write plays? I do, but I've been in a very long dry spell. Let me put you that way. Yeah, well, I, I, never, I, I write three or four pages. I'm not satisfied with that, but it is so trite. <laughs> well, you should get it into, uh, well, of course, Benelstuff will support that, but also there's Play Cafe and there's, there are all sorts of venues. Well, I was curious, uh, play, where is um, your, the project that you're doing, where do you guys have a home? Well, we're, we're right now underneath uh, Playground SF. So we have, we're nice. with them for about a year. Mm -hmm. okay. Right on. No, yeah. that, hey, that's fantastic. Speaking of Bindlestiff, they have a, now, of course, we pump the Yay podcast, but Bindlestiff has a podcast, the Fobcast. <laughs> and we want to push that. That's a podcast exploring Filipino-American immigrant stories produced by Bindlestiff Studios. And they have episode two. So go check mm. that out. And uh, we will uh, push that as well. I was going to ask you, Alan, have you done a film at all? Or like everyone's doing I did. I did a few student films. Yeah, I did a few student films. It's just so hard for me to watch myself and take myself seriously in that sense. And I know I should really like kind of, you know, get over it. 
But uh, yeah, I, I'm willing to, to jump back into that pool. Yeah, no, I think you'd yeah. be fantastic. You'd be great. All righty, we are hitting, it's about three minutes to one hour. So I guess we should uh, go into shout outs, birthdays. Birthdays. Um, it was weird to look to because there was a time when I would have known what day it was. <laughs> Uh, my uh, my first serious love, um, it's her birthday today, Alex Branch. We met in high school doing theater, and uh, her birthday is today. Uh, Wanda Sabir is uh, a Bay Area, I'm not sure how she would label herself now. She um, was a reviewer and critic, um, and I think now she does a podcast. She, uh, she has a regular ongoing thing where she still keeps her finger in the pulse of what's going on particularly in black theater, but in theater in general. If, uh, if you're a performer, if you're a black performer, letting Wanda know that you're in a show somewhere can get your show some attention. It's very cool. Uh, Leanne Lam, uh, who is involved with the, what is it, contemporary Asian theater scene. Yeah, Cats down in San Jose. Uh, her birthday's coming up this week. I don't think it's today. I think it's later this week. Larry Reed is a... Um, the Bay Area has some very unique talents in our theater scene. Larry Reed does shadow puppetry um, like, and I, I can't, you know, I would mess it up if I even tried to say where it's from, but from Southeast Asia. Um, and I got to do, it's coming up in about a week or so. Um, Golden Thread is doing a, I forget what they're calling it, but it's their vintage work. They're doing these broadcasts of their vintage work. We did a play called The Love Missile, and he did a bunch of the shadow work for us. Uh, Sonia Alar is somebody very dear to my heart. We went to Cal Arts together, and then both of us ended up not finishing Cal Arts, but going on to have wonderful theater careers. Uh, Brian Freeman, um, amazing African American actor. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Woo. Um, Brian is, um, Brian. Um, he was one of the founders or the creators of um, Afropomo Homos, among many other things. He also, mm -hmm. I wanted to do this role in the America play, which uh, Thick Description did. And Brian was the one who got to bring it to life. It was gorgeous. He was such an incredible performer. Mm -hmm. Dan Wolf. Um, Dan Wolf and I are those sorts of performers where we know each other's names. We have been in various spaces together. I don't think we've actually ever worked together, but he's an amazing writer, performer, director, teacher. Um, Mara Marie Lacquant. Um, I haven't known many Maras in my life, but suddenly I was working with two of them and I married one. This is the other one. Um, and she's an educator, um, theater director. Uh, John Kalaki. The people that we don't always give enough shout outs to are the people who support theater. John Kalaki used to live here in San Francisco and mm -hmm. was very big. And I don't was it the hotel fund or the other SF? It was the SF. It was an arts fund in SF. And, you know, those people sit and they decide who gets money and who doesn't. John Kalaki showed up. He was at shows all the time. Very supportive of the Bay Area theater community. And now he lives in like Vermont or something. Um, got a couple more. Tess DeLucci. I hope I didn't mess up her name. Tess is one of those people. When you get old, there are people that you meet as little kids. Like she was literally probably three or four years old when I met her. And now she's a grown ass woman. Um, her mom is, uh, was in uh, the show that we did with Arlene and uh, Mallory. And so um, Tess kept getting dragged into shows as a child. I don't know that she continued it. And then the last one I have is Cindy White. Cindy L. White, she goes by. Um, is somebody I met when Oakland Public Theater was first putting together the shows that we were doing in reading series. So those are the birthdays that are coming up for, that I have for this week. And my list is uh, short. <laughs> Eve Teak, uh, I've worked with her. Uh, we did um, Skin, of our, is Skin of Our Teeth. Yes, Skin of Our Teeth at the... Um, Oh, shucks. The DMT, the Douglas Morrison Theater, along with her brother, Don Teak. Eve Teak, her birthday is uh, the 20th. So happy birthday to her. Also on the 20th, Dion Aquino. Chi, I believe that's uh, uh, Dion, of course, wow. one of the uh, ex Bendel Stiffers. And yeah. uh, she is in, I think she's in Arizona. Yeah. Uh, that's selling... Lorna's sister. Exactly. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> and uh, she's selling cannabis and she's enjoying life. So. <laughs> Uh, also, hey, we need some sponsorship. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, 
Also, Ricky Jester, and I remember uh, doing a bunch of readings for her, um, the D Douglas Morrison Theater, at least when Susan Evans ran it. They did a lot of uh, readings, especially with high school kids, getting high school kids mm. to be playwrights. And mm -hmm. uh, we uh, actors uh, would read for them. And that was fantastic. And Ricky was one of the, has been one of the readers for that. And her birthday is on the 21st. Do I have two more? I think I have two more. Karen Daniels. So this was a teacher of mine at Duke Ellington School of the Arts. Uh, uh, she was a short dancer, but she just had so full of energy. And I, I think it's been 30 years, a little over 30 years um, that I've graduated. But she is still online, very vibrant. She's uh, traveling and uh, she just she doesn't seem to age at all. But um, her birthday is on the 23rd. Happy birthday, Karen. And the last one I have um, Tim Holt Jones and Tim Holt Jones uh, did a reading um, for I think he's been heavily involved in um, Playground and he uh, was involved in oh shucks I did a I wrote a play called Judicial Process and ah, part of the Brecht okay. Project and he was a uh, Judge Bennett uh -huh. um, and he was just fantastic and that's it um, shows uh my story I, it's so funny i have a better link so i'm going to throw that in the chat for you but um because the link that i had before went to the Apersolo page but you couldn't find my show i directed uh, my story by vernon Madeiras, and so i have a better link for that um manifesto is a stage piece that was created by rotimi akababiaka always worried about messing up his name. Uh, Rotimi um, is an amazing performer. I got to see him in a show at um, Shotgun. And so he's written and created his own piece and they've turned it into a film. It's um, directed by Idris um, Cooper. And so uh, they are doing a live, an in-person thing at Brava tomorrow night at seven o'clock. And I will give you a link for that. Um, you said you already have Pillow Talk. And then um, it looks like we're going to have, coming up in the next month, um, Bill Bivens on Playwright, um, who I met through Playground. And he's got this um, series that he's doing of uh, audio pieces called Pulp Scripture. And so um, I have a link for that. So those are, those are the things I've got coming up. No live ones. I think just the ones that you already know about. Yeah, I've got a couple uh, here. Um, what's in a name? Theater First is doing that. John Tracy is uh, directing that. Um, also, a good friend of mine, Brenna Kimmerly, she was in a musical that I wrote, and now she is in Circus. Cabrillo Stage, uh, they're doing that only three days, July the 9th through the 11th. Also, uh, Shylock is being done at Tabard Theater. That's being directed by John Rice Williams, who was on episode uh, 158 of the A. Um, Hold Me the Forgotten Way, that's being done by About Face Theater. Uh, mm -hmm. Eli, Eli Sonny Orkiza is uh, directing that. And that will be, uh, that's streaming until December the 31st. It's streamed uh, July, the, I'm sorry, June the 16th. We talked about Pillow Talk, Pillow Talk, Pillow Talk Theater Rhinoceros is doing that. They That opened June the 11th and it ends. And the playwright Kevin Legrone. I wanted to like give him a shout out because I felt really bad about numbering his name. Kevin Legrone. Kevin LeBrell, yeah. And it'll be theorino.org, and we'll have a link so you can click onto that and check that out. Lorraine Hansberry Theater slash Z Space is uh, sponsoring Intimate Apparel, and that is streaming oh, right. right now. Janae Simon is in that. I've, we've been trying in vain to get her on the show. Uh, um, you forgot to mention, I think it's still going on, Begin the Beguine. Begin. Oh, right, with the um, Oakland Don, Theater Project. Exactly. Co-directed by Don Trope. That's still going on. Um, Shakespeare, Titus Andronicus and Richard III. So that is coming up. We've been uh, advertising that. Alan Coyne is, uh, is Demetrius in Titus. And that'll begin streaming June the 26th. And then in August will be Richard III. Lamont Rigel will be Richard III. And Cynthia Lagazinski will be the Duch Duchess of York. And we've talked about quickfire monologues. Um, <clears throat> based on weekly prompt, Ooh, writers write monologues and actors record them. So if you want to be involved in that, we have the email quickfiremonologues at gmail.com. So you can check that out. And I've got, um, let me see if I actually have details. So a friend of mine, Neil Harkins, is a, a put a play in at the um, Playwright Center, San Francisco. And so I don't think I have a date for when that's happening. 
No, I don't. But um, um, Lamont is going oh, to be is in that. Oh, yes. So, I wonder if that is, I wonder if that's neighborhood watch. I'm I'm thinking. In any case, uh, maybe. Maybe. Uh, Alan, any shows you want to shout out or anything we so didn't we're working, So Chicago is working on its uh, show. We first we got our first draft um, and it's a collaboration between uh, Conrad Panganiban and Lauren Garcia. Uh, and it goes up in November. So you know, once once we get all the details together, I'm sure that we'll We'll send it to you. We'll send the press to you. Absolutely. And you know, we'll definitely push it. We'll definitely push it. Yeah. Alan, did you have a good time today? I had a great time. A great time. It's also good to hear that John Tracy is his show's going up. You know, John and I are also, we come from Vallejo. We did Vallejo Youth Conservatory together. Ah, nice. That so, uh, he's like he's doing really well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, small world, huh? That's awesome. <laughs> I never know. I never know who um you know, who knows everybody, but you know, it's, it's a small world and that's fantastic. Thank Alan, Alan, thank you so much for coming on. And it's been wonderful uh, speaking to you again. I haven't seen your face. Uh, hell, it's been 10 years. So it's oh. cool. <laughs> yeah, we, need, we need to, we need to fix that. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Well, we definitely can now that uh, we can actually go outside. And uh, I think yesterday CDC, uh, is it CDC? No, it's um, OSHA. They finally said that workers can not wear their masks anymore. So I'm sure. Right. And any ah. excuse for me to go to Jacqueline and Square. <laughs> there you go. Come yes. on down. Come on down. We're ready for you. All righty. Well, you're probably watching this uh, for our viewers on on um, YouTube. So please like and subscribe. Give us, a th give us a thumbs up. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. If there's anything that you would love for us to talk about, just let us know and we will uh, take care of that. If you're listening to us on uh, any podcast, we're on any podcast. We're also on Spotify. We're on that purple uh, podcast app if you have an iPhone or an iPad. If you're an Android user, you can use the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com and you will find us. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up. We're on Spotify. We're on Twitter. We actually have the Yay one on Twitter. So Yay three. Yay three. That's right. Yay, Yay three. Yay three. Yeah, we, we we didn't get there first. Damn it. Yeah, uh, my personal um, Twitter and Snapchat. Um, not Snapchat, but uh, Instagram is Red Space Clay. And mine's Who's Your Hoosier? How about you, Alan? How can people uh, directly contact you? Oh my God, I'm so old school. I don't I don't have a website or anything. Uh, I mean, you can you can stalk me on Facebook. Yay. <laughs> I'll there say, you okay. <laughs> if you're looking for a fantastic uh, actor and director, you can't go wrong with Alan Kismorio. Uh, he is really seasoned and he's just fantastic. In any case, it's a wonderful uh, Saturday. So everyone enjoy yourselves. And as Norman and I always say, we, we got to find a better, better sign off. And we are. <laughs>